to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local craft makers to reinvent the way food and beverage products get to market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Market of Choice has been supporting our local farmers, ranchers, fisher folks, and entrepreneurs. We believe the way we source products has a positive ripple effect across our great state. That's why we're proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores and that the majority of our purchases support our robust regional food system. (laughs) Nice wording, Sarah. That was smooth. I'm getting better at it. I know. (laughs) You're so good. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear stories of female-headed food businesses. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Missoni of the Food Innovation Center. We're glad that you joined us live today. We're honoring our social distancing and each calling in for the show. As we're a live radio show, we think it's important for us to be here with stories of hope for all of our food friends out there. Sarah, um, last week on the show, you gave us some gluten-free baking tips that were really awesome. So thank you for that. And I had a question from last week's show. We had um, Heidi on from Heidi Ho. She makes those delicious vegan cheeses. And I know a lot of time in times in vegan cooking, uh, people are using nutritional yeast. And I wanted to talk with Heidi about it last week, but we just ran out of time. Um, But I just wanted to talk a little bit about nutritional yeast and what it is and why people use it. Do you have any info on that to share with our listeners? I sure do. Um, Nutritional yeast is actually a deactivated yeast. So that means it's not alive. So you're actually reaping the benefits of the structure, the cell wall and the interior, which has a lot of um, vitamin content. And it has actually glutamic acid, which is an amino acid. But most importantly for vegans, it has vitamin B12 and B1 and B2. And in the vegan diet, um, that's one of the missing vitamins, which is B12. So that's why it's been used for forever um, as a supplement for, you know, vegan eating. It's nutty and cheesy flavored. So you'll see people sprinkle it on their toast or mix it into a gravy. Um, yeah, that's really good to know because it is providing some essential things for for people and especially for people practicing a vegan diet. But um, also, I tell people this with canning a lot, too, um, that like if you're canning something that's fermented, you're killing off all of those live cultures. So you should still eat fermented food. So it would be the same thing in this 
scenario, it sounds like those those yeast particles are dead. So you're not in, in you know, ingesting living culture. So you still need to do that somewhere else, you know, in yeah. some other form. But yeah. you should do it because there are benefits to it. Well, it's called Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is actually the yeast that we use to make bread. Oh, yeah. And so it's probably a byproduct, I'm thinking, of when they make the yeast that we buy. To, you know, you could buy a little packet of yeast and put it in your flour and make bread. Yeah. Um, in the whole scope of things, when they manufacture that yeast, they probably have some... Um, some of it that falls to the bottom of the tank and then they just process it and make it into the nutritional yeast. Yeah. So it's kind of like my jam of using everything. <laughs> yep. Sustainable. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been talked about a lot in just food media lately, you know, people either love it or hate it. So I just wanted to like kind of talk about it a little bit and it fit with our last um, story and I figured yeah. you had some information on it and you do so it makes sense that people would use it um, to you know to stabilize all of yeah. the that they're making well one thing I would say about it is you know you don't need a lot of it so if you put too much of it into whatever you're making it's going to make it taste sort of metallic and yeah. you, that's why you might not like it so if you want to get the benefit of the vitamins just use less like that's one of the things I think people make a mistake a lot of times, they think if they add more of something, it's going to be better, but that's mm -hmm. not always true. So you have to sort of find that right balance and use probably use a smaller amount of it than you would imagine. That makes sense. Thanks for the tips, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Um, we have just a little bit of food news today, which comes from you. You wanted to tell people about a box that you are picking up. Ooh, yeah. So if you go to paleysplace.net, um, they have a box every every Saturday. I think you have to order before noon on Wednesday. I don't know exactly what's going to be in the box. I'm going to be surprised, but it's a local farm and maybe a few other things. I don't know. And it's $35. And then once you've ordered on Wednesday, you get a confirmation and then you can go pick it up on Saturday at Paley's place, but you do have to order ahead of time and pay ahead of time. Cool. I think a lot, we're noticing a lot of restaurants are kind of pivoting a little bit and offering these food boxes for people with things that they would normally get from the farms. And I really like it because then the farms are still being supported and the restaurants are still giving people food. It's just in this new different way for now. So yeah. I'm glad you're, you're supporting well, uh, them. I, I ordered from Nikki USA. I got their, um, their, box of meat um quite a few weeks ago now I've, we've eaten it all and the ground beef is excellent and i also would say if you're having a hard time getting toilet paper order their toilet paper it's really good <laughs> we ordered from Mickey too we um they sell products for restaurants normally so usually people will buy this toilet paper for the restaurant so they sell like a big quantity of it i know i yeah, we did. The you same. can get a half box or a whole box, but my daughter and I were like, "Hey, we like this toilet paper." <laughs> <laughs> they have really nice toilet paper and paper towels because they're making it for like these fancy restaurants, you know. So they're stocking <laughs> the good stuff. It's not. Like I mean, cheap. <laughs> I have to be on. I mean, don't want to spend a lot of time on toilet paper, but there's this cupcake shop in um, 
in Oregon City, and I think they have three. I don't even know, can't remember the name of it. I'm sorry, but I was looking at their feed, and they have a, a cake that they've developed that's a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> And then sitting right next to it is a cupcake that looks like one of those poop emojis. Oh, no. <laughs> That's just so funny. I'll look up who it is and so I can tell you by, before All right. the show. All right. And if anybody, has, if anybody has any food news for us to talk about each week, you can submit those at startupradionetwork.com and we will talk about your events. Uh, new products, anything you would like us to talk about. If you have something new you're selling online, let us know and we will tell our listeners. Um, And I also, Sarah, wanted to bring up that we just posted our 40th episode on iTunes this week. And I thought that just felt really special and should be something to celebrate. So congratulations to the whole team of people that it takes to run this show. The, our 40th one is up. Don't you think so? I mean, it feels really like in in this time, we have to celebrate the small things that happen. <laughs> I know. When, like you, one of them. when you hit 40, it's like you have to stop and reflect yeah. and, and think about think about what it is you want, you know, to do in the next 10 years. Tension. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it again for 10 years. Well, I, I think that... Yeah. Um, in the middle of all of this pandemic and everything, I think that we are doing um, good by bringing these stories to everybody. And I'm glad that we could keep doing it even as things changed and we had to shift. And um, so I'm just really proud of our team and all of us. And I just wanted to congratulate everybody on 40. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Us. Hey, I found the cupcake company. It's called Fat Cupcake and they're in Happy Valley, Oregon City in Southeast Portland. Yeah. There's one up by me. I've never been there before. Well, you got to go order a toilet paper cake now. I know. <laughs> My daughter would think it's really funny. and fun. I know. She that's why you should do it. All things bathroom humor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there so. with her. all right well we have a special guest here today and i am excited to introduce her amy is a fellow portland farmers market vendor uh amy colville she is the owner of ah milk and the maker of lovely plant-based milks welcome amy thank you thank you so much i'm excited to be here we're glad that you could join us today thank you yeah uh, we want to help um, tell your story and connect other makers and listeners to you. Can you give people your social media handles so people can follow along on your journey? Absolutely. It's at Amilk Shop. So A-M-Y-L-K Shop. It's a little at symbol in front of it. Perfect. Did I and we'll go tag ahead. you in post. I was just going to say we'll tag you in post so people can find you. I think I saw that Amy's making local deliveries. I was, you know, initially started as a home delivery service and we were doing like the old fashioned milkman delivery, but I transitioned out of that last year um, mm-hmm. and moved everything over to Milk Run. So local milk, I'm doing all of my oh. deliveries. Um, in rare cases, I will deliver um, someone who's firmly and compromised and I have a product that milk and not selling. Um, but I, I found that it's not very... Um, 
cost effective to do the home delivery when I've got one delivery way out in Forest Heights, another one in deep northeast, you know, that's like probably not the best business move. So <laughs> Yeah, it's much. hard it's hard to do that. We've kind of been um doing porch deliveries for people rather than the farmers market right now. And it's it is like that. It's like usually I'll have a delivery in St. John's and Beaverton and you know clack mess all at the same day i'm like oh, okay <laughs> it's a good thing i like driving you can listen to some really great podcasts right uh, yeah. well that's what i've been doing i just it's a nice way for me to get out but while still being you know kind of contained and i just listen to podcasts and jams and like try to make the best of it <laughs> totally absolutely <laughs> I have, <clears throat> I have something funny to tell you. When I was looking at your website, I thought you had a partner named Joy Seeker. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's just me. I'm the chief, chief Joy Seeker, but all of my staff are all Joy <laughs> I was like, I wonder if Joy Seeker is going to be on this show. <laughs> that's so funny, Sarah. That would be a really good name, though. It would be yeah. a, good, a good stage name or pen name yeah. for you. I, like, I really thought, I, I was looking at them like, that's really, I loved that. So, Amy, we want to help walk you through your journey in history. Um, let's start off with just talking about what got you into plant-based milks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I had some health issues, started... Oh, gosh, back in probably 2008, after I had my fourth baby, um, Rice was just kind of, I was running my own company. We were doing a lot of stressful things. We were just experiencing a lot of life challenges in the moment. And my body was sort of shutting down. And I developed um, a, like a digestive distress called SIBO. And I ended up doing a lot of cleansing and um, a lot of uh, elimination dieting to try to figure out what was wrong with me. I now know it was mostly rooted in stress. Um, stress is very bad for your health, which is why I'm a joy seeker. Um, and I've always been a joy seeker. But I um, was using commercially produced nut milk for years and years and years, and I really wasn't getting better. And it's just sort of serendipitous how I, I started e-milk, honestly. Um, just, you know, uncovering different and you know, just trying new things and staying really focused on my wellness and being very cognizant of what I'm putting in my body and then how those foods made me feel in conjunction with the choices I was making in my life and um, the sleep I was getting and the exercise. So it's like, you know, it's a real balance. But, um, you know, after about a summer soul searching and travel I started making my own nut milks and I had this aha moment that really felt like you know the clouds parted and the sun came out sort of like I just felt like my whole body kind of get this energetic um, ripple like I just knew in that moment with my hands on this nut milk bag that this is what I was meant to do and from that moment forward I, I feel like I started to heal and um and that's really what animal's all about. It's about my journey to healing and hoping that um, the products that I create can also bring that healing and that joy to my customers. That's so awesome that, um, you know, we hear this from a lot of our entrepreneurs that a lot of times 
it's their health they're kind of focusing on and figuring out something that helps them. And then they feel so good when they do it, then they want to kind of spread that love to other people. And it's so great that you found a way to do that. When did you start producing your, your products commercially? Um, so I was the fall of 2016. It took me some um, R&D time to kind of figure out how to do it. But I would say, um, I think I, I consider my official launch date to be June of 2017. So we're almost oh. three years now. Yeah. That's so great. Well, do you have your own, your own manufacturing facility uh, somewhere around the Portland area? <clears throat> I do, yeah. Um, I have a warehouse and commercial kitchen um, on Northeast MLK, Milk Boulevard. Oh, that's so. <laughs> that was completely serendipitous. serendipitous. <laughs> it was so serendipitous. It was not. In fact, even my name, Amel, wasn't planned. I didn't know my name was in the brand. I wanted to create. I wanted to spell milk differently, uh, with a Y instead of an I to differentiate it. And then I put an A in front of it, thinking you know, alternative milk or almond milk. And then when I went to my branding agency, um, if you look at my bottles, that's actually my handwriting that says Amel on it. Um, I, I had to write emailed a hundred times so they could get it right, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm writing my name. My (laughs) my middle name is Leah and my last name is Colville because it's always a C. So like it's literally Amy, Leah, Colville, email. Email is me. (laughs) I'm email. So when I trademarked it, I trademarked it as a person. So email is is about Amy, I guess. That's cool. (laughs) There's a lot of dairy history up on Martin Luther King. There used to be two dairies right there on MLK in Northeast really? Portland. Yeah. Um, one of them, you can kind of tell it was, I think it was called, oh, don't quote me. Um, I'm not sure. I think they actually made butter there. It's on the left-hand side. It's kind of a white building. And one of the corners, I believe there's some like straight windows. And then the other one's on the right-hand side, and it's this really weird building where they've repurposed it. And you look at it, and you're like, this is a really weird bu- building, and it, and it has, like, all these restaurants and stuff in it. And that was also a dairy. Oh, the one with the murals all over it? Maybe, yeah. Huh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's super cool. I had no idea. Yeah, there were two dairies there on that road. You're just bringing forth a new kind of dairy onto that that part of town. That's amazing. I'm so excited to know that. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, just like commercial nut milks in general. If you go into a grocery store and try to get nut milks without any stabilizers or things like that, they're very tough to find. Um, And so I can see why... um, you know, the way that you make nut milks is um, beneficial to people, but can you uh, talk about how you make, you don't have to tell us how you make it, but like why um, those things aren't in there and why they're in products that maybe people would find in, in the grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, there is one product commercially available that is um, just nuts, water, and salt, like wine, called malt. Um, I was super nervous when they came into the Portland marketplace because I had just started to launch, and I was so worried. Um, but it's interesting because it tastes very, very different from mine. Um, and there's a couple of reasons, I think. I don't know. Maybe Sarah would know. Um, but um, for one, the HPT process, um, which is a high-pressure pasteurization, cold pasteurization process, um, 
and they bottle in plastic. And uh, and I also believe that they have a, a much lower net content than mine. Um, so it has a totally, it's just a different product, really. I mean, A-Milk is a completely different product than anything you find in the marketplace. Um, most nut milks have a lot lower net content. And yes. I really had no idea why that was the case. Um, and I'm starting to realize why that is the case. I have my <laughs> theories. Um, it's, one, it's very difficult to scale uh, a product that's fine um, because it is um, so high in, in nuts that it's very difficult to strain. So I suspect, um, and I don't know for sure, but I think that they're very low in nut content because they're able, you know, being mostly water, it passes through um, their filtration process very easily. And then they add some emulsifiers and thickeners, gums and whatnot, because they need to have that milky mouth feel. Um, it's just, uh, you know, they use gums, they use thickeners and emulsifiers also so that it, um, it has a more pleasant look, has a more pleasant taste. Um, but really, generally speaking, in my opinion, um, you really just buying bottled water or you know, yeah. So water. <clears throat> you're absolutely right. I worked on the almond milk that Wholesome and Hardy Foods had, and that uh, started in let's see, probably nineteen, probably nineteen ninety eight, something like that, and they. Um, could be completely wrong. No, it's probably mid nineties. And that product was so disgusting. It was only, it was like <laughs> 1% almonds and it had sodium citrate in it. One of the biggest things that they were always worried about was the separation and how we were going to fix that problem. And they never were able to fix that problem. And okay. it was very stressful for consumers because they didn't understand why they should have to shake their milk. <laughs> um, and then we had lots of conversations about should we put shake on the container because it was in one of those Tetra Pak boxes. It was actually manufactured in Tualatin at um, Pacific Foods of Oregon. And, yeah, that was a tough, tough thing to teach people about all those years ago, like 20 years ago. Now I people like are all into it. Yeah, I feel yeah. like people are kind of relearning that mm -hmm. it's okay for things to be separated Sep or it's yeah, okay. just shake it. <laughs> just shake it up. It's okay for things to not be, you know, neon colors. <laughs> like I think people are learning that if our, if we want our food to be natural, that means that separation is is a natural thing. We have to put on mm -hmm. our bottles to shake before using too. Yeah. That's part of why I bottled in glass. Um, I had a conversation with my branding agency early on, and we decided to celebrate the fact that my product separates, uh, really make it visible. So we have those fair labels on almost all of my bottles um, so that the customer can see the separation. And often I'll pull it out of the cooler at the market and show them the layers of separation. And um, it's really fun because, you know, Especially with my colored milk, you see that gradiated color and the blue milk. It's just vibrant blue. Um, so, yeah, we try to celebrate that at Amo. Absolutely. I think that's good. I, I also think that uh, uh, probably the reason that um, some of the other commercial nut milk companies don't have a high percentage, I think it's probably about the process of straining, but also about cost, you know. Um, 
it, you make more money if you use less <laughs> nuts. <laughs> they say water is free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, I really think that the average consumer that's drinking nut milk um, up till now anyway has not really been very aware of, and I know that I wasn't, um, that it's mostly water. You know, so it, that's yeah. why it has 40 calories in it. <laughs> you know, there's like, there's no, there's nothing in it. And the carbs are the calories, right? So you have 10 sugars or whatever, and there's your 40 calories. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, since we started talking about nuts a little bit, I wanted to, I know you um, carefully choose who you source from. And I, I saw you posting about one of your farmers that you like to talk to. Um, can you talk about the importance of the nuts that you choose and, and how you make those decisions? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So um, sourcing has been incredibly important for me since the very beginning. I mean, when I got the idea for AMOC, um, it's really because I met the owner serendipitously of a superfood adaptogen company. And um, since then, I really haven't added hardly anything, any kind of product um, without having met the owner of the company that I'm working with. <laughs> so I sort of made that be the president that I've met. Um, so I'm very careful about my sourcing. My um, hazelnuts come from Meridian Farms here in Oregon, in Aurora. Um, I've only spoken to them on the phone, but I know that they um, use organic farming practices, and um, it's very meaningful to me to work with somebody local. Um, and I've tried various different kinds of nuts, too. I will say that. like Different nuts behave differently. So um, the rate of absorption of water, for example, I mean, I get a different product based on a different kind of varietal. So I've tried various varietals of almonds, for example, and you get a very different yield. Um, I've tried using Spanish almonds um, because I heard that they had great dry farming practices and I was excited about that. Um, but they have, they absorb water very differently. They're, they're almost more like a raisin. They're shrunk down a lot more. Um, uh-huh. So it has a concentrated flavor, like more of a marzipan. Um, the almonds that I use are like the most premium almonds in the marketplace. These are um, organic almonds that are, um, and I know organic almonds are an account for like 1% of all the almond production in our country. So this is like a very small batch production of almonds and they're grown by a farmer, uh, like a family of farmers who are very careful with their environmental practices and they have be friendly practices. And so um, yeah, I had like an hour-long conversation with my farmer just a few weeks ago, and I mean, like talking with a friend, you know. So, like knowing where my food comes from and where the food that my customers are going to be consuming comes from, um, knowing the names of the people that make it, knowing the tension intention that goes into the food. Like, I mean, I believe that food is medicine, and I also believe that food is energetic. So, Amy, yeah. We're going to take a quick break and I want to come back and um, talk about your flavors that you have and we'll and, I've... and adaptogens. Okay, great. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. 
We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences, because food brings people together. And we are back. Uh, Amy, I wanted to ask you about um, your flavors, because that was one of the uh, things that that stood out to me when I very first met you at the farmer's market. And I want to know what flavor you think tells your story best. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, almond, my organic almond milk is the first milk that I developed. And I really developed it to be the vehicle. Like, I needed a base. When I started milk, I was on this health and wellness quest. And I had found healing herbs called adaptogens um, and a lot of superfoods. And I was just really starting to geek out and learn about how I could incorporate these um, wonderful foods into my diet. Um, and so that moment where I was making that milk and I came up with this idea for milk was really like I was looking for a base for like a carrier for all these herbs um, and superfoods so that I could nurture myself. Um, so my almond milk was the original, and I quickly kind of grew it into uh, a line of different milks that were kind of like uh, my magic potions that I was using for myself. So, like, the I'm Beautiful Super Milk um, is a milk that, um, like, when it's the three drivers for a milk really are beauty, longevity, and joy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm now in my 40s. Um, I've had four kids. Um, I do care. <laughs> I do care about what I look like. I try to make sure that I eat well and I and I feel good primarily. But you know, I want to like look my best and feel my best. So um, I um, I like to make these potions that um, might have like a hishuwu at home in it, um, which is used in Chinese medicine to help with your hair grow long and your and nails be strong. But um, I developed on beautiful which is a beetroot milk, it's an almond milk, it's beets, trying vitamin C and other minerals. Um, it has crushed pearl in it. Um, pearl is used in Chinese medicine um, and has for centuries. Um, it's got calcium and other trace minerals. It's an antioxidant, which can help reverse the signs of aging in the body. Um, I add lucuma fruit, lucuma, well, I never pronounced that correctly, but lucuma. Lucuma is high in manganese and magnesium. Um, it's got, um, it's also an antioxidant. Um, it can help reverse the signs of aging as well. So, like, all the things that I add to my milk and my own potions that I do every day, like I'm drinking an A-milk latte right now, are all um, foods that I eat because I'm, I have the intention of wanting to feel a certain way or look a certain way or have them behave a certain way in my body, if that makes sense. It it does. I think it's really fun to come to your stand at the market and you always have something different. So you can um, just say, you know, I like that you describe them as your potions because it does very much feel that way. It's kind of like whatever you felt like you wanted to give people and tell people about. And I mean, most of the time, at least at the Portland Farmer's Market that I do with you, it's you there at the market. And so you have all this knowledge to share with people about these creations that you're doing. So it's a really fun <laughs> and interactive experience. That's great. That's cool. You know, it's definitely, e-milk is definitely slow food. And I think my customers understand that each one of them that comes up to me, we have a conversation, you know? So it's like they wait in line a long, long time, but then they get their turn, you know? And we get to have a talk and we talk about their health and their wellness and what they need and, you know, what milk I might have that might help them feel better. 
Um, so it's really fun for me. I love it. And I do try to work with the market myself, but we're at four market now, so I have to kind of guide myself around. You brought up slow food. Can we just talk for a second about slow food? Some people yeah. might not know what that is, unbelievably. Yeah, so um, I make a product that takes a long time to make. I mean, you'd be surprised, but a long time meaning it takes me, you know, 24 hours um, to make my product. So we start off by soaking the nuts, um, and we soak them in um, a lot of water and some salt, and, um, and we refrigerate that. And then that, I hope, will help to kind of um, wash off with a substance that you probably know better than I um, Sarah, but I call them lectins. Um, it's the coating that coats seeds and nuts that we use to protect the seeds or the nut. And when you have like um, you're following kind of like a, um, a autoimmune protocol, like I have in the past, you know, you become a little bit more careful about like things like um, like lectins or nightshades or whatever it is you're eating. So um, again, I designed anal for my own health and wellness and healing, and so I soaked my nuts first. Um, I rinse them really carefully, then we blend them. Um, so our nuts have been soaking, you know, anywhere from, you know, 15 to 18 hours before we start processing them. Um, and then, you know, it takes some time to blend them, process them, press them, and then, you know, refrigerate them and then create the flavors that you enjoy. And so there's a slow food movement. I think it started in Italy. Um, so when you say slow food, you're really talking about a really like a worldwide movement. Like there's a lot of people trying to slow down their lives with food. You just gave me the goosebumps. Um, yeah, there's a big part of me that really believes in the old ways, mm-hmm. the old ways of doing things. You know, before the 20th century, we didn't really have processed foods. We just had whole foods. Um, I believe that, um, I believe in eating foods as purest one possible. Um, that's why I don't add anything to my milk. It's just nuts, water, salt, and any super premium ingredients that I can find that are sometimes wildcrafted or biodynamically farmed, but um, always organic or at least organically farmed, just not certified organic. Um, so, yes, I, I believe in pure foods, and, you know, this takes time to grow. It takes, um, it takes time to produce. It's a different way of life then I think we're accustomed to living in, in this day and age. And I kind of love the idea of going back to community-centered agriculture and food that's produced locally and food produced by Sarah. You know, I know her name. I see her food. I see her selling it. Like, that is meaningful to me, and it connects me to the food. And yeah. I think that we get a lot of help from understanding our connection to where our food comes from. I think so too. And I think it brings a lot of um, joy to just our daily lives is, is that because we can see our people we're making food from, we see the farmers we're getting ingredients from. And so, you know, you and I are creating that, this food that's bringing us joy and then we can pass that on to other people. And I think that's a really, that I think that's part of the slow food movement too. And, and if anybody's interested, you know, they have Slow food groups all all over. There's there's a Portland one you can follow too. But um, I think the the main message is for us to definitely slow things down, realize who's making our food, where it's coming from, and and taking time to enjoy it. Enjoy that work that that Amy's putting into her milk. You know, don't just chug it down through a straw in the drive-through or whatever. You know, like really just um, 
like being mindful of her time that she's putting into it and enjoying that. I think that's part yeah. of the movement as well. Can I ask a question about milk run delivery? Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us how that works? How do you get your stuff to milk run? Do they come and pick it up or do you have to deliver it to them and then they deliver it to the consumer? Well, the great news is that they're just down the street, only a few blocks from me now. So um, in the early days, um, they would come and pick it up, but they have grown like gangbusters now. Um, and so we've actually moved to producing for them four days a week. Uh, we were only producing for them twice a week. So they have really, uh, the demand for milk run and the demand for annual through milk run has um, resulting in, in a huge pivot and huge growth for my own company um, and for theirs too. So yeah, we drop it off at their uh, warehouse every day before 10 a.m. We're up very early in the morning. <laughs> How would somebody order through Milk Run? They just go to their website? Yeah, you go to um, localmilkrun.com, and at the top of the page, it tells you what day you're ordering for because they're delivering um, four or five days a week now, I believe. And, um, yeah, there's a minimum order. I think it's $34. But your first order, you get a discount, I believe. So. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, and they buy from a lot of local farmers and food producers, so they're a really good company to support. That's cool. They are. I love Julia. I met her years ago. I was one of the first vendors that she worked with, and um, I know that she's super passionate about farming, farmers, farming in America, the future of farming. Um, I read that Melbourne is still the largest, the world's largest online farmer's market. I think that's how they're, you know, Kind of categorizing themselves, um, but it's a great company, and I really have enjoyed everybody that I've worked with over there. That's cool. Um, how many different flavors do you have that come around? Because I know they change. <laughs> oh my god! Well, you know, it's interesting. Emilk is still a very small company, but we have grown considerably. Um, I counted, and I think I've made something like thirty-eight different flavors over oh, the last three years. Um, but if you were to come to a farmer's market, we tend to have um, between 10 and 12 different flavors every weekend. Um, milk run only carries five or six, maybe six flavors. You can't get everything on milk run, um, but you can order on emilkshop.com. And I have courier service and I do national shipping. I'm still figuring that one out. It's tough. Flavor. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you how you do that because your product needs to be refrigerated. So do you ship with like cold packs or something like that? I do. I do. I was only doing overnight shipping um, because of, you know, raw and pasteurized nut milk. Um, but it's so expensive. It's like, you know, $60 to ship it mm -hmm. overnight. Um, but a happy accident. A shipment to Texas actually proved that it can withstand two-day shipping with plenty of ice packs, and they have specialized packaging. Um, it's actually biodegradable filler from uh, recycled denim, um, and you can take the plastic off and recycle the plastic, and then um, it's compostable. Um, so, yeah, it kind of insulates the box well enough. I'm, I'm still figuring it out, but there, there's just, you know... I would love to be able to say you can only buy, if you want it, you have to buy four at a time and it could be the same size, like fit in the box perfectly. But right now, because of COVID and everything, um, I have it so that people can pre order online for pickup at the farmer's market. And I want to make sure they can get whatever size and whatever they want. Um, so 
when somebody orders for shipping, they might order a mini, which is eight and a half ounces, or they, and they might order two liters. And it's very awkward to fit in the box with the right ice packs and scenarios. So it's kind of that, the big puzzle thing for me right now, trying to figure out how to do shipping better. I think it's always a puzzle. <laughs> I feel like yeah. we're always figuring it out because, and and then as you build different accounts, like people want things different quantities and like even if we built like cases to ship our sauce then there's somebody that wants to sell only three bottles in a trio or whatever it is there's like always something to there's always a challenge (laughs) I always say that like that's my favorite part about being a business owner is that I'm like a natural problem solver I, I think it's from doing my old social work job but that was like the main thing I did was solve people people's problems and I think in um you know in business there's a lot of problems. <laughs> you're there are every day. Every <laughs> yeah, you're con- day, but it's fun. So that's the thing. Like it's so fun to try to figure these puzzles out. And I think some, you'll have this like aha moment with shipping where you'll be like, why wasn't I doing this the whole time? It, it'll come. <laughs> I hope so. Yesterday I packaged up one and I was like, oh, I finally figured this one little thing out. It's like, it's so much more beautiful now, but yeah, you have to do things over and over and over again before you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. we all become shipping at experts, even though we didn't know that that's what we were getting into. <laughs> <laughs> True. I um, also wanted to talk about your bottles. Uh, I love that you use glass bottles and you, we do the same. You also take them back at the market for credit, right? I do. I do. Yeah, I do. Um, My bottles come from Germany, um, and I they're very expensive to ship. Um, So, and I like have a very strong environmental bent too. Um, So, I wanted to. I was always wanted to bottle in glass because I think that um, I can't help but think that the plastics that are in the bottle and packaging leach into the product. I mean, I can I can taste it in some of my competitors' products. So, bottling in glass was like from the beginning. It was my only my only choice. And um, yeah, if you wash your bottle out and you you know if you have a like a baby bottle brush or some kind of brush to get things out or can add some rice to it and shake it and get all the sediment out. If you bring it back to a sparkly thing, you'll get fifty cents off your next purchase. Um, and then we wash them again and sterilize them when we get them back to the kitchen. That's cool. I, yeah, I like that movement too. Um, I think a lot of us makers locally, you know, try to be really mindful of the environment and um and especially if you have a very specific bottle like we both do, <laughs> we want those bottles back because we don't have to ship them from far away to get them here. So even that has a bigger impact on the environment. Um, but so we do we do the same of offering people a credit. And it kind of takes a while for people to catch on though, I feel like. I think it took us maybe a good four years before even our regular customers. Then we started, you know, at first we'd get like three or four bottles back each market day, but then now we go home with like bagfuls of bottles. So it just takes people a little while to catch on to that. I didn't even know that you were taking them back. I have a bunch of yours and I, I use them all the time. Like we put our leftovers in them or I make salad dressings. I use yours. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I like that. I like that people um, reuse them. So I always say like, if you're using them, great. But if you're just going to put them in recycling, like, please let me take them back because I can have them live another day. <laughs> I got a question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, consumer behavioral focused business. 
So your business is based on women or people that have had similar life experiences and want to change the way they eat. Can you tell us a little bit about how you think about that, how you how you focused your business on making sure that the consumer is happy? Because that's critical for success. People don't think about it all the time. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited you're asking that question. Um, at first, I thought you had done a little digging in my background. Um, my degree is in consumer behavior um, from the University of Connecticut. I um, I actually had an individualized major, so I created that myself. I've always been super mindful of the customer experience, um, no matter what it was that I was doing. Um, I had no background in food whatsoever before I started email except for that I'm a consumer. And so I've always approached email from the consumer's viewpoint. Um, I am email's biggest consumer. So every single thing that I do gets um, put through the lens of, is this the best possible thing that I can create for myself? And how will other people be using it, enjoying it? Um, what are my concerns as a consumer? Um, how can I make my product better? So I'm always really putting myself in my consumer shoes because I am. Yeah. I drink probably more emails than anyone else in this city. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're drinking the stuff the day before expiration of it didn't sell. You're like, <laughs> I'm drinking. Don't want to waste no, it. I'm drinking it three days after the expiration. Hey, <laughs> what about making like a milk yogurt or something like that? Have you thought about a line extension? I actually have, but I'm also very cognizant of the fact that I need to get things right. Um, you know, I want to make sure that I have this this line um, and have it working really well. Figure out shipping and whatnot. I kept email um, open plant based milk, but I, I may eventually change it to plant based food because um, I love the idea of using my nut pulp and I buy products from my milk um, in cookies. If you've been to the market, I don't know if you thought there, but I, I in the winter months, I had um, little like with balls, tar balls made with milk nut pulp, um, mm-hmm. which um, the farmer's market was gracious enough to let me bring without having to do a lot of um, testing first. They're very, they're very strict at Portland Farmer's Market. You can't introduce a product without having it be um, sampled and approved, um, but during COVID, they made a little exception for me. So I would love to expand into milk and cookies. I would love to expand into some yogurt and other things, but um, right now I'm being really focused on the milk. That's cool. Amy, um, we only have a few minutes left, and I wanted to see if you have any advice for uh, aspiring food entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, absolutely. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Honestly, um, if I knew how hard this was going to be, I never probably would have started. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just do your best every day. Go out and do, yeah. do what you're passionate about. Um, I'm so passionate about what I do. I mean, AML is um, it's not just a business. It's my passion. Um, it's my mission. It's my joy. It's um, how I... Um, how I practice self-care, it's how I play, it's how I create, how I challenge myself. Um, it's, um, I, I really put the product and the experience before the profit. So I'm like, 
it's not, I'm not putting profit first. I'm putting my passion first. And I feel like that's going to lead me to success. And so if you've got an idea and you feel so strongly about it and it brings you so much joy, then I just know you're meant to do it. So go out and do it. Yeah. I think I that's really good advice for people to have and to know. And I think that it's very apparent in your, in your business and, and seeing you, um, you know, out there with your product that it does bring you joy and that this is what you were meant to do. So I'm glad that you, you followed that feeling and just did it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got a, one last question for you. I noticed on your website, you talk a lot about Gwyneth Paltrow. And so I already figured out she's your celebrity spokesperson. (laughs) Have you sent her some of your milk? I haven't. No, um, I haven't. Well, I haven't really pushed the national shipping thing yet because I I want to make sure that I do it really well first. So I have some people that I definitely want to try my product. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, she she should be definitely on the list. Um, She was an early influencer for me. That's cool. So, Amy, we want to send people to you directly to get your products. Where should we send them? To the farmer's market? Um, well, you can find them on local milk farms. You can find them um, at the Portland Farmer's Market, even in Farmer's Market. We will be at the Lake Farmer's Market, uh, but not as regularly because of the whole COVID thing. Um, you can get that at amylkshop.com. That's A-M-Y-L-K-shop.com for courier service and delivery. Um, and also, um, you can find Amilk at Silverdor in the Rubinette produce section. Oh. Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you for joining us today. It was great to have you on the show and I will see you soon at the farmer's market. Yes. Thank I you. For coming. I'm so excited. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. I love being on the podcast and I love um, spending time with you. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. So here's our final sponsor word. Marketed Choice is Oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store with 10 stores in Oregon. It's all about choice. We focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional, natural, organic, and local health-conscious food products. We have more than 1,300 teammates, including real authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, relaxing, and enjoyable shopping experience with our customers and truly care about the communities where our teammates and our customers live and work. To find the Market of Choice nearest you, visit our website at www.marketofchoice.com. At Market of Choice, we buy local so you can too. We record Missoni and Marshall inside of our homes for now (laughs) tune in live live every week friday at 9 a.m and find us on your favorite podcast platforms like itunes and stitcher thank you to our audio engineer alon and our production assistant chelsea if you want to be a guest on the show submit those to startupradionetwork.com and we will be back next week thanks for joining everybody bye for now bye Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. 
We are proud sponsors of The Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.